We're outside the travel agency, a cannabis store that's got everyone buzzing. I've been over 20 times at this point. When I walked in, I felt like I'm about to get elevated and lifted in the best way. Blows my expectations out of the water. Some of the best customer service I've had in a store. So nice. Amazing vibe. Come down to the travel agency and see for yourself. For use only by adults age 21 and older. Keep out of reach of children and pets. In case of accidental ingestion or overconsumption, contact the National Poison Control Center. Consume responsibly. Recorded live. Welcome to the GIC call, or better known as Grounded in Commerce. It is Tuesday, April 21st, 2015. Groundless Commerce objective is bringing sense to the seemingly senseless world of commerce. People tend to get lost in their administrative processes and pursuits and be applicable to their private and public merits and standings. We offer to our listeners various exposures to educational materials to gain an understanding of one's pursuits. Material here is not to be misconstrued as legal or financial advice. If you, we strongly suggest if you need legal or financial advice, uh, you seek a licensed attorney, financial planner, or both. This material is for entertainment purposes only. And I would like to turn the mic over to Nancy tonight. So are you there, Nancy? I am. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So tonight I want to start off uh, with a little educational piece tonight on um, rescission since this uh, came out fairly recently for the um, uh, Supreme Court case, um, a family by the name of, I'll probably say this wrong, but Janowski um, sued Countrywide Home Loans and Bank of America um, after their refinancing on their mortgage primary residence in uh, Michigan, Minnesota. And so what they had done was they'd had read their documents or someone had given them some information and said, um, you know, their loan was signed and everything was fine, going along, coming along the three-year notice um, in their deed is called the right, or notice of the right to cancel. Um, and they actually enacted that on the, exactly to the day, the three-year anniversary of that date. Now, what that incurred was basically they sent them a letter saying they wanted to, um, you know, cancel the note, cancel the, the deed, that, that act, okay? Um, so for most people, what they don't know or understand is, is that the truth in lending um, gives the borrower the right to rescind the loan by midnight of the third business day um, of the closing of the loan. And we, some people make kind of consider that kind of a lemon law. Um, you know, you have three days to return a car, you have three days to respond, you have three days this, three days that. That's kind of where I get this, the three days uh, rule list. But also, under that act, it creates a three-year time limit to exercise the right to rescind the loan. Um, and it's just, it's about the notice. So what happened with the Janowskis, from my perspective and other people that I've spoken with, is that on the very last day of the, you know, just before the third year, the time clock would run out, they gave the bank notice. And when they gave the bank notice, they didn't do anything else about it. Now, after that time period, the 
Countrywide, you know, was acquired by Bank of America. Some other things happened, um, and they refused to acknowledge the rescission and basically said that, you know, that wasn't any part of it and anything else. So, you know, it, this case went all the way up to the Supreme Court for a decision from that aspect. And so I'm kind of keeping this real general because I just want people to understand that it, it does play some, some, has some merit it for some people, not for everyone, okay? Um, but basically, in the end, it turned out that the Janowskis only had to provide notice, and they did not have to provide any court filing or file a lawsuit or anything else. They had just had to provide the notice was sufficient to, um, you know, for the decision. So with that in mind... Um, noting that those time frames exist, I would honestly say from my perception, not everyone can rescind the notice. And that goes with the time limit. So one must understand the time limits and time frames. There are a few people out already um, exercising their right to create and generate commerce <laughs> um, that have already decided to offer people rescission packages. Oh, jeez. When if you don't believe me, just, you know, Google it, and you can see a variety of people offering these special packages to rescind their mortgage. Now, if the homeowner is, you know, non-educated, um, how about that one, not, not that they're not educated in other things, but they're not educated in the, their note and their deed or their mortgage, they actually may believe that they may have some rights to do that. They may actually go and try to do it all on their own without, you know, anything else happening. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a moment of opportunity for people to be aware that just because a Supreme Court case happens and a decision is made, that it does not and still not and will never apply to everyone. So understanding one's own case and controversies, one understanding one's ability of what one has in one's own hands or possession is always of utmost um, is, is always of the utmost for me. So um, just wanted to bring that to the foreground tonight um, so that people could be aware, uh, wouldn't get you know run down the trap because they're selling it for money um, to obtain these packages. And not like one would necessarily have to buy money or pay money to, to do that, but they would have to at least have the understanding of, of why it is that they're doing it before they would go and file it and or actually send it off to the, to the lender. So um, that's just my little caveat tonight. Buyer beware. Buyer understand what buyer needs to do, and please, um, that would be one of those cases where if you didn't know exactly what you were doing um, and you thought it was a good idea, you know, that may not be the time to jump. <laughs> so uh, that was my little um, caveat for tonight. Anybody well, else have anything for tonight? Yeah, yeah. I was going to read the um, Black's Law, which is uh, fifth or sixth edition. It says rescission of contract 
It says to abrogate, annul, avoid, or cancel a contract, particularly nullifying the contract by the act of a party. The right of rescission is the right of cancel, rescind a contract upon the occurrence of certain kinds of default. That's what you were saying, right? Certain kinds of default by the other's contracting party to declare a contract void in its inception and put to an, and put to end to as it was never were. So thought that might help a little too for you Nancy. So but isn't that true though? Some yeah, contracts in the chat. Yeah. Oh sorry, I didn't know you were weren't finished. Okay. With me. Go ahead. You're good. Go ahead, Kenny. No, I'm good. One of the things in which uh, a lot of people are not recognizing, which you had just brought up in there, because if one doesn't research the subject matter of a rescission, what they're thinking it is is a cancellation. It is not a cancellation. Don't 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 misconstrue what a rescission is. If you recognize the subject matter as being in regards to property, what was the first instrument in which you created? Deed of trust. Right. You could, you could, there was a mortgage agreement or a deed of trust that was set up. Was there not an obligation that was formed within that? Yeah. Okay. What is the rescission on? The deed of trust? Or oh, the, it's on the promissory note. There you go. So what you're doing is that you're removing the, you know, uh, uh, a binder that's on the promissory note, but that did not remove the obligation on the deed of trust or mortgage. At that point in time, whoever would have been considered the original lender can now accelerate a foreclosure on your property because you haven't paid. Exactly. And if you rescind, you still have to vacate the property. You forfeit it. And then it goes further than that because the next thing is, is because you're challenging the issue on the note, you'll probably be subject to the tender rule which is at that time you have to place the money up for whatever the debt obligation is and what is going to be the direct reference of that, whatever was the deed of trust or the mortgage. So you better have all the money right there for it. Well, as I understand it, the rescission is just simply, um, it might be a way of a party not having to go through foreclosure when they know that they can't uh, maintain the contract. Oh, all it's doing is, to, is creating a controversy. The subject matter of rescission is removing, remember, the, you have to have, um, like, when you put in, when you move forward a notice, it's, it's similar to like a demur, subjectively. A person is looking for just a judicial notice. It's not supported in fact. Are you following what I'm saying? It's, it does not carry evidentiary uh, material for its application. You're just putting in the notice. There has to be a review thereafter, oh. right? So you have to go into court. Mm -hmm. Now at that time, when you step into the court, the, of course the parties are going to sit there and they're going to uh, more likely than not try moving various demurs or you know motions to dismiss the basic claim. And the party's going to have to be fully versed in what it is they're seeking to do. And they're going to claim something about that note. They have to claim something. You can't just walk in and say, oh, uh, it was a bum deal. I changed my mind. <laughs> oh, it doesn't work like that. They're, they're, you're under a contractual obligation, but the mm -hmm. only way that you move forward under the rescission is that um, they're, 
the party had to have a reason, a cause, as there was something defective within that contract, you know, within the note. That's what's being discussed. So now what does the rescission do? It takes it back to the point that a person had entered into that agreement. Right. Now, uh, as Nancy had said, it doesn't work for everyone. What if a person refied? And now they're re- and now they're doing a rescission on a, re- a refi. What did they just do? Go back to the, where they were before they refinanced. That's the exactly same. right. They they reinstalled the originating contract. Mm-hmm. And now, because they are back to the point of the originating contract, could they not now be considered in default because they hadn't been making payments? All right. And and that depends on when their last payment was. But, yes, that is one of those things. That's why we, we, as as a group, keep talking about knowing where you are and what your status is so that you don't overstep your bounds and find yourself, you know, in a big bear trap, and and you're not hunting bear. You were just trying to go, uh, just trying to go pick a carrot out of the garden. Oh, just recognize this: people that are going out there, uh, they may not be hunting bear, but the bear's hunting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true too. <laughs> and in that, there is to also recognize that there are legal implications that whenever a person is moving forward under a rescission. And so if they're not prepared for that, it's not like a cure-all. It's not like in a magic eraser or something that removes the obligation. That That's not what a rescission is. And people are going to find out the hard way mm-hmm. when they get out there and they start doing these things in which people are selling these packages. They're going to find out the hard way what's about to happen to them. Because the, under that acceleration, now we can take it from mile to wild. What if a person's living in a non-judicial state? It's and they not, post. It's, yeah, it's not going to take very long before they find themselves sitting on the curb, and they, right, they just, they're not even going to understand what happened to them. And then when they step into a courtroom, if they were to step into a courtroom in an effort to challenge, and the judge turns around and they go, oh, well, I see that you put in the notice of rescission, and let's just say that it's being recognized. Um, uh, I see that you put in a notice of rescission, so that means that you're going to invalidate the, the note. Is that what you're doing? And the person goes, that's right, boss. And then he turns around and says, good. He goes, the, uh, the current outstanding obligation, according to the opponent here, is this amount of money. Do you have that money, sir, at this time? Now what are you going to do? Walk away from your house. You're going to lose it. You're, you're going to lose your house. Right? At that point, you're about to lose your house. And the thing about it is that you paved it for your opponent. You made it easy for them. Yeah. Now, see, that's a whole different subject matter than the, the, the topics in which we bring to the foreground, which is speaking into moving towards a quiet title action being predicated upon a chain of title assessment. When we look at that avenue there, then we can recognize where the various defects are within the instruments themselves. We're not seeking to rescind the contract. We're seeking to use that contract to show that they are in violation. Mm -hmm. If you rescind it, what are you using as your foundation? You're using nothing. You have nothing to go against. 
So, you know, some people I realize they're easily taken in by, you know, you know that that dream, for lack of better words. But they need to. I call it. I call it a quick fix. Investigate. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Nancy. Sorry. No, I was gonna. I was. I was saying I would call it a quick fix. Ah, here's another way in. We can make this work. That's the you know dream of a big gold mine or a gold pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when it doesn't exist. Or something for nothing, or a whole lot of something for free. Well, I presume a lot of people are going to look at it at that in that context is that they believe that they're going to get a free house out of it because they removed the note. Mm. But they didn't. Now, as we have already shown in uh, the last uh, workshop that we attended, we took a look into the term uh, instrument as being uh, applicable to 3-301. And we'll recognize at that point they immediately statutorily modify it to negotiable instrument. And then under negotiable instrument, as we start moving through the terms in which is offered there, we'll recognize that the the security instrument also includes the the security for collateralizing the property for repayment of the loan. So we'll recognize at that point in time the deed of trust that's set up and or the uh, mortgage in which is set up that there is part of the instrument. It's just one part of the instrument. Uh, even though it's an instrument of its own, the contract is both the deed of trust or mortgage, we'll just call it deed, the deed and the note. They remove the note, does not remove the contract. Is that making sense? The obligation still resides on that deed. Now, the next part of that is, uh, speaking into the rescission itself, is it has to be founded. They have to have a reason for it. They can't just make the claim, oh, I want to get out of this. There has to be a reason. And it usually has to do with something of an inducement. They were induced, or whatever it was, by that inducement, to enter into what may be regarded as a fraud, whether it's constructive or not. You know, what I mean, constructive or actual, it, it, it doesn't matter. But that's usually the, the premise of the rescission. So if the person is not familiar with uh, what a constructive fraud is or, and have the merits in which it's designed for, or an actual fraud, and have the merits formed for that, so that when they step in for an evidentiary hearing, they're, they, they've lost their case. They have no foundation. So it's just something to entertain. Well, this really brings to my attention how people would take the term rescission, misunderstand it, and think that they would get a free home or get out of making the mortgage payment and not lose their home, not go back to the beginning where they didn't even have the home. Um, it's just kind of, oh, my goodness. So I hope not too many people will damage themselves with that misunderstanding. Well, I'll tell you what, um, how, how's it go? A fool and his money is soon parted. And in this state, to here in an effort for them to uh, seeking to save their home, 
uh, not only they're going to lose their monies, but they're more likely than not they're also going to lose their home. And then the result of that is is that more likely than not there will be a deficiency judgment levied on them. And then they'll be paying on a piece of property in which they don't own for the rest of their life. So from my from my perspective, we bring these topics to light such that people can hear what really is happening versus what may be promoted as the fix or the end all to be all. And um, there just is no quick fix. <laughs> if you want a quick fix, go take your shoe to the shoe cobbler. You know that's a quick fix. Okay. <laughs> If you if you want a quick fix, you go uh, you know you go uh, hire somebody to tack up your uh, you know something on your wall. That's a quick fix. Doing any kind of mortgage work process, anything else, takes an extreme amount of time, energy, and I'm gonna call it chutzpah. <laughs> A lot of determination. There's a lot of diligence that's required behind that, you know, to come up to speed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because most people come from the place of, I don't know anything, because they they or we never read the contract. So without reading the contract, then one can't possibly understand it. And for, And by design, I would admit that, you know, it is given a very short period of time to sign a lot of documents and for them to quote-unquote impart information to you for you to understand what is about to occur. So when you go into the signing, by design, it has given you the opportunity to (laughs) briefly, (laughs) ever so briefly, um, to take a look at those documents and, oh, by the way, is this what it says and is that what it says and is this what it is and, oh, just go sign right here and you'll be happily on your way into your fabulous home. So, you know, those um, those moments you know, in time where the quick fixes are gone. So, Nancy, I want to uh, offer this. Even attorneys buy homes and sign all those papers at closing. And I wonder, do they even understand what they're signing? Do they even read the contracts? I wonder. I, I can I can say for certainty that there is a good portion of them that do not because some of them or a lot of them are finding themselves in a financial bind because they have refinanced their home since 95 or 99 to gain the equity to do the next big deal, the next... Uh, property, you know, buy another piece of property, whatever the, you know, yeah. whatever it was, you know, all those other little things that they'd use the equity in their house for. Um, yeah, they, they've done that and, you know, they are finding themselves in a little bit of a bind now because they're in the same position. They thought they knew that the banks were trustworthy and could be, you know, counted on for doing the right thing. And I just would assert that just not necessarily the way it is. I, I know a few that have that are currently in um, a, a mortgage crisis at the moment. 
Nancy, so. well, wasn't in the Williamson case too where the they were doing an audit on there and the, the judges didn't even know their stuff was even slandered? That is yeah. correct. I remember a judge's case in that mm-hmm. reading through that audit. Right. I talked to a county recorder today by my county recorder's office and told them that 70 million titles are slandered. She says it's probably more. Wow. Uh, so she knows. She knew something. But, uh, well, yeah, she knows, but the question is, is she willing to do anything about it? So just because you know <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Oh, yeah, I know the sky is blue, and I know that today it's blue. in mind that, that the clerks, they're somewhat restricted. Remember, they're not there to take a proactive measure. Their job is to receive and record. That's it. They're not there to make the determination of what is valid filings and what's not, other than if there is something blatantly missing mm-hmm. on a document. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there, their job is not to sit there and say, oh, you represent this company? We know that they file fraudulent documents, so I'm not accepting that. <laughs> they I that. told her, I said, you ever hear of a company called MERS? And she said, yes. And she said, well, that's a big company, right? Thinking uh, like GE or something like that. And I was trying to give her like some like, hey, it's big for us to remote. There's no employees. And I was just going through that with her, you know. And uh, you know, she was the head dog on her. She, you know, but, you know, I think sometimes they just give them a little piece of a pie and let them, you know, let us sink in for a little bit and then another piece and another piece and then get them come around, you know, so. In that way, if you can get uh, some word into her, the, mm-hmm. the subject matter becomes, would you like to, if you had a way of putting the monies that are due for the proper recordations back into the county, which would fill the coffers with perhaps millions of dollars, again, it would be subject to, you know, how many recordations they, they do, but millions of dollars to where it refunds the county, would that be something that you're interested in? She's gonna, and then, yeah, of course, course always tickle the ego by saying, and would this not be something in which you may be honored for, you know, oh. respected for, you know, as that you brought this forward and you restored the wealth of your county with the help of your fill-in-the-blank commissioner. Mm-hmm. You following what I'm saying? Yes. Because the only way that they would be able to get an audit done is that they would have to go to their town board, you know, board of trustees or board of directors, managers, or whatever, and uh, be able to pitch to them to have an audit performed upon the county records. And it can't be like the one that was recently conducted up in Washington, which was more uh, uh, show pony. Oh, King County. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they did not they did not authorize. Uh, uh, they only gave like I think it was a six a six month audit window or something, and that there does not provide uh, the substantive evidences that supports the amount of um, defective instruments within the recordation system. You got, you know, you got to have at least a couple years of audit in there. And when you 
so that would be about the gist of it, is uh, they would need to get an authorization from their board to be able to fund the project and then have a group of qualified CODA uh, researchers step into the office and go through those records and compile the, um, the documentation that shows, yeah, these here are all suspect documents. And this right here is where you may be able to gain your monies back in for you know, failure to file, false filings, defective filings, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree 100%. Now, you know, going back to the statement regarding the attorneys and reading their papers, uh, I, I really doubt that they read them because most of them just feel that it doesn't matter what the subject matter is, it's law, they'll handle it. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Oh. But then the next thing is, is that subject matter of what had been brought up about what I interpreted it as is flip that house. Well, flip that house, wasn't that, wasn't that the big thing for that? What was his name? Rich Dad, Poor Dad? That yes, but there's many, many others now, many, including women doing it. Yeah, but I, what I'm getting at is he, he wrote publications, he opened up educational resources, workshops, all sorts of things. Robert Kiyosaki. And, and he ended up uh, going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Because and, of what? What's that? Because having himself overextended. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a little bit more than that because uh, he was running things that was dealing with some pretty, well, let's just say ridiculous practices where some of the things in which were coming out of the woodwork was dealing with the illegal and downright hurtful uh, actions, that, which also included insider trading. So there was all sorts of stuff that was going on with his multiple real estate properties. You know, where he was telling people, you know, little or no money down and telling them they purchased these stocks and all that other stuff and, you know, the unfunded brokerage accounts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that stuff blew up in his face. Uh, he owed a substantial uh, chunk of change to, I believe it was one of the educational uh, centers, uh, uh, a director that was operating that. I don't recall the name. It's been a while. It, it seems to me that it was like three years ago or something or another that that, that broke. Speaking of educational centers, I'll address this to Dave. Um, Dave, you and we know about the gentleman who's helping people possibly get grants for doing good for things for the earth, uh, Mr. Schmidt. And I'm thinking that perhaps there's ways for the proper, appropriate people to perhaps apply for grants to help their county area recoup and reclaim the um, Titles being documented uh, honestly and get only the proper par parties on those documents, and perhaps grant money could come that way. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you, Dave? Well, they have to. The qualification is that they're grassroots humanitarian. This isn't grassroots where people live. I mean, I'm genuinely, I, I mean that from the heart. This is grassroots. And like you've mentioned, Kenny, and you, Nancy, that. Res, res is what this life exists on and what our economics exists on. And perhaps there's someone in those groups that might want to step forward and help do a grassroots movement to help their counties, different counties, 
do this kind of auditing and reclaim the soil, so to speak, like permaculture. That's all I wanted to add. You did, we worked through this, or there was an accountant that did this, the attorneys that had done all this, this, I guess I want to say fraud, but uh, fraud, all these documents there, that you realize that they're going to lose all kinds of credibility. Like, did you know that you did this, you did this? I mean, it would be, it would be, um, it would be amazing to be able to do it. So. Oh, so. <clears throat> Okay, does, does anybody else have any topics for conversation or any other thoughts? Just one question. Um, do you remember what John O'Brien in Massachusetts, I believe he would be the um, county clerk, do you remember what he required for certain parties to be able to submit for the records um, a recordation, uh, a filing? Was it like, oh, that's right, it was an affidavit, wasn't it? So did he re what you're saying is he required an affidavit for everyone to file a document in the county? Um, I'm just trying to remember what it was that he required because he had found so many examples of robo-signing in, in his county's records that he, he moved to requiring a certain something and uh, he noticed that the robo-signers stopped filing because they wouldn't ever produce the, I think it was the affidavit. Not a bad idea, Dave. It really isn't. I mean, it's somewhat. I mean, it's a temporary fix, but you know, it, it can stop. Um, you know, some of it. I think it's not a bad idea. You can figure out what it was and see if the recorder, if the county recorders would do something like this. You know, it's in kind of titles. Mm -hmm. Reference to that guy and what he required. Anybody else have anything for tonight? You want to share their experiences? Okay, so here's here's the thing that came to me when we were talking about rescission of contract. What about a rescission of signature? And that sort of came to me like, okay, so if you rescind the signature, you know how? I mean, I understand that it's invalidates, but I mean for a contract, but I mean there is some merit to be able to um, rescind a signature, but. Yeah, I don't know. You know, that would that would sort of mess up your entire contract in your deal. But it could be there could be some some times that when necessary need that you could have you want to do that. So I don't know. I don't know. Just just something that came to me. I haven't I haven't explored it because you know this was tonight and I haven't really had a chance to really look at that in my mind. So but I just wanted to put that out and see what anybody thought thought about that. If if one rescinded the signatures, would not one be rescinding the completion of the contract or the witnessing of it? You would be. So would, what kind of ramifications would come from that, just as a possibility? Mm -hmm. I would ask this question here. Where are you talking about doing that? I don't. If you, I haven't really explored, explored it, Kenny. I'm just, it just. Well, no, what I'm referring to is if you have documents that are filed in regards to a property at the at the county, and you start layering papers over the top of that for rescission of whatever, we already know 
the only party that can make any adjustments within the land records office is a judge. You lay paperwork over the top of that, you're committing slander of property, and it's a fraudulent act. Mm-hmm. Now, tampering with a public record is a felony. And so I would walk tread, uh, walk very softly on that subject matter. It may be a different subject matter if, if you were dealing within a couple businesses and you wrote something and maybe sought to rescind a form of a contract. But then again, we have to go into offer and acceptance and recognize what happens after the 72-hour window. Now, if you're going to go into rescission of contract, that would have to again be based upon some form of actual or constructive fraud whereby a person was induced into a contract. So well, be a good why example, would you like to draw say your signature? You know, that, that's, that's not solving anything from what I see. Well, let's say that um, uh, me and Dave got into a contract, and Dave says, I want you to be a hitman, and you got to take out so-and-so, right? So then we actually got a contract in writing. Now, that would be unconscionable to have a contract like that. And could I not rescind or re- signature and can't rescind the whole contract. Of course I could because, you know, it's, it's it's a crime to do that, you know. So is it possible that if there was some fraud in the mortgage, then is it possible to say, well, look, it's unconscionable. Why would I want to say no contract like this because of this is what's going on? That's kind of where I'm at with that. I, I, I mean, I'm just throwing some stuff out. I really want to look at it in my mind. And see, is it possible to do that? So uh, don't don't like hold me to hold me to fire on this. But you know, I just want to you know, I was thought maybe since we're a round table, let's you know, let somebody want to talk about it, that'd be good with me. Well, I would assert that since you um, are wanting to you know look at the opportunity to rescind the signature, I would say that you're rescinding it from whatever contract and. You talked about fraud, and I would claim at this moment that it is not your job to, um, I mean, you can point out fraud, but you can't make, it's not your job to prosecute fraud, so big deal. I mean, you can't do anything about it unless you go to a district attorney and they do something about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going to claim fraud in a contract, mm, Yeah, you're going to have to take that to someone else other than yourself to to make that stick, from my perspective. Well, you can move the elements of fraud in equity, uh, but the subject matter is, is that if you're trying to hold a person accountable criminally, that, of course, as you had stated, it would have to be brought up by um, the DA or prosecuting attorney. That would be upon their election. However, when we look at the elements of fraud itself, we'll recognize that that is a very, very difficult hill to climb. Simply, if, if, if you want an example, just go ahead and, and dig into the, the requirements to prove fraud. And I think that you will recognize that it is most definitely, it's, a, it's an uphill grind uh, in order to prove that. Because it, uh, fraud is a mens rea. How do you know what a person was thinking? unless there's some form of a smoking gun that indicates that uh, in within a documented form that showed that a person um, constructed uh, this, this entity of whatever it was 
and that in, used that to induce you. And it was somewhere within their documentation, it was saying, yeah, let's put, let's put lipstick on that pig. If you don't have that smoking gun in there, trying to prove a fraud is very difficult to do. Now, that's not the same thing as moving towards the elements within fraud, which is dealing with lender liability issues, you know, perhaps the, the breaches of contract. Now, mm -hmm. does it indicate that there's fraud there? Mm, yeah, probably. But if you're going to start throwing the word fraud, you better be prepared to back it up because if I was your opponent and you use that word, I would sit at that moment in time, I would accept it and state, show me the evidence of fraud. Otherwise, I'm going to charge you with slander and defamation at this point. That's a good point. It's very hard to prove. But if you could get them to do a statement or so, I would imagine somebody could, somebody testified or on oath or something like that, then then maybe it would have some merit to whatever you're doing. So, you know. <clears throat> so do we have any other questions for tonight? Any other anybody doing any kind of processes or anything at all? We want to talk about anything else? Is there anything else we'd like to talk about tonight, then? Nancy, do you have any question or um, about that property and the uh, the water? Can you hear me, David? The, the dispute, yeah. Oh, good. I didn't know if you could hear me. Um, I haven't been able to follow up on that yet because of uh, schedule, so mine and my family members, so I'll have to check probably beginning of next week. But I really appreciate every one of you here. I really, really appreciate this because this is a bright light. This is more than just a match in the darkness, mm -hmm. more than just a candle, and it really does matter. I feel a world better than the people we tell about this too. When we know it's the thing that person wants to hear, there's there's tension in their faces and their hearts because they know how much the world looks like it's falling apart. And it's getting to be very commonplace to not trust the so-called authorities, higher-ups, the lawyers, the bankers, etc. And that's been rampant throughout many thousands of generations. But at the same time, when they hear that there's, for example, people in a study circle doing this and their attorneys stepping forward, you got to see them start to brighten. Their eyes radiate hope and a sense of, oh, possible. So every drop of this, every research line, every term learned is helping the collective whole, the mindset on this planet. It does go into the quantum level. It does start to change the 100 monkeys. And I thank Nancy, you. about um, Shira's situation, did she ever get any resolution to her uh, challenges? 
Yeah, she did. She got and a loan remodification. Yeah. All nice and shiny and tied up bright. We tried to. <laughs> Correction. Well, there's this thing about a good, honest person who has a mortgage. A good, honest person will pay a mortgage. So if they can bring about a mortgage that isn't being constantly um, penalized and increased by thousands and thousands of dollars every year and it's brought back to something within normal, then the person feels like they're being a good, honest citizen, good, honest mortgage. And that you have to deal with because a lot of us were raised with that. So, Dick, were you being, um, how do you say, tongue-in-cheek? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of was. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Double tongue-in-cheek. It's like, ah. But, you know, you can't push a caterpillar out of the cocoon. Of course. Not when it's ready. Even you can give it the prettiest flowers around and try to show it real nectar and what can really happen, but it's just beyond the what we were raised with. An honest person, a God-fearing person, which is what she's about, and a God-loving person, is going to have a mortgage. And that's where it starts and stops. Well, you know, just keep in mind, the principal is always the ultimate responsible party. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, I'm guessing she would be open to checking into this, um, and maybe now more so because the state has put such... Uh, restrictions on her and her water, that maybe she would be open to checking into this. But she, I'll tell you, just from what I know, let alone what she went through, uh, she got run through the ringer about nine different ways with Countrywide. And, um, and I'm guessing, in a loan, does a loan remodification or whatever you call that, does that does that um, obviate uh, any kind of movement forward on quieting title or anything like that? Nope. As, as I understand it, it terminates the old contract. It creates a new contract. Yeah, and that's my, the elements yeah. in the new contract are what you would have to look at, mm. obviously, to see if there's any break in the chain of title. If there was a break anywhere in that chain, a remodification does not change that. Well, well, there's I, still a basis for quieting the title if it's been broken or slandered. So, how about if I assert that when one gets a loan modification, the person that is doing the loan modification, I venture to say more than likely, is not the person that has the interest in the note. So are you really loan modifying something that you have the ability to modify or are you just kind of slandering your own title? Yeah, that's a great point, Nancy. That's a great point. Hmm. Also, it's a possibility that a release of lien was not filed in the county uh, when she refinanced. I have seen cases where the uh, new, you know, people bought and sold the house and release of liens were not ever filed. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And, and the more you look at chain of title, you know, a chain of title assessment from a particular piece of property, you will find out how many times 
even before 1999, uh, 1995, uh, before MERS was even in existence. Um, I'm familiar with one chain of title that the person received their note back, but no release of lien. Mm. So, so even <laughs> even though one has the physical note in one's hand, um, you know, original blue ink signature, turn it over. There's you know impressions on the back, exactly you know as as on the front, um, you know, inscribed and a highlighter pen and, you know, all of those markers that would indicate its originality, okay? But even though because that's there, doesn't mean that they've still filed all the appropriate paperwork. So, and that was that was before 1999. Um, and, and the one before that, um, the, the mortgage before that was taken out from a... Uh, from a um, not a bank, but a, um, the other kind, savings and loan <laughs> was taken up by a savings and or a credit union, actually, um, and they didn't even file a release of lien. So, are you suggesting that that causes a break in the chain of title if a release of lien was not filed? That's what I'm asserting because. Bottom line is they may still have interest holding on. I mean, even though, quote, unquote, was paid off, I didn't pay it off, or the person, you know, the, the person before them didn't pay it off. Does that make sense? So if I, as the person, didn't pay it off, the how do you know that when you got the loan, the borrower isn't the one that pays off the loan? You get the borrower hands the documents over to the other party. The other party is responsible mm-hmm. for, for going filing. filing whatever documents are appropriate. Okay? Yeah, you're the you're the party of accountability to assure that it has been done. Right. Yeah. But but pe- but people as, as the borrower don't take that into consideration. It's because, because they don't recognize it. Here's a cravat entertain this premise. If the subject matter was is that there had been an existing obligation on a piece of property and an individual went into a refi agreement, there was not a release on the previous obligation. Are they now obligated for both obligations? Oh, my goodness, you're right. That didn't occur to me, but you're right. Yeah, I see your point. Now, within that premise there, does this now make sense why the subject matter of having a coder done and then following up with a quiet title action? Now, remember, a quiet title action has nothing to do about the note, nothing to do about the note, and everything about the assignments on the property, thereby whatever liens may be placed against that property. Now, if one settles or uh, removes any clouds which remain on that property, does that extinguish the obligations that had been formed on the notes? No. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. And at that time, you'll recognize that that means that sitting in the background... 
is an unsecured well from our side, because we quieted the title, we would recognize it as being an unsecured obligation. Would that stop the opponent from seeking to move forward, especially in a non-judicial state, from seeking to foreclose on your property anyways? Wow. Yeah, they could do that claiming that's an asset? They claim that it's an obligation. And in a, in an unsecured, with an unsecured uh, debt, does that mean oh. they can come after anything and everything you've got to satisfy it? That's, that's about the gist of it. And okay. if the borrower isn't on top of the game, then what they could find out is that the, the person who is originating a claim, what they do is they reboot another lien on your property. However, at that point in time, you can get them for direct slander, especially if you can show that through publication that you provided opportunity for any uh, potential claimants uh, adverse to uh, property ownership uh, opportunity to step forward and make their claim, mm -hmm. and they didn't do it. And if they can, by them not doing it, and then they move forward, then you provide them notification of, wait a second, cowboy, this property had been quieted give them the date, give them the case number, and I'm seeking you to immediately withdraw that lien. Uh, if you want to ignore it, then that's intentional trespass. Uh, At that point, now you can hold them uh, liable for their conduct. Well, clarify more for me, if you could, Kenny, how, how the house itself being... Um, net worth to you basically at that point uh, does not fall under assets that are uh, judgeable in a, in a whatever you call that a judgment uh, against you to satisfy an outstanding unsecured debt how does that not fall under under uh, that umbrella okay could you reframe the question because I, I I maybe misunderstand what you're saying brother what I'm trying to say is, as I understand it, and, and maybe I don't have a correct understanding, but as I understand it, when somebody is coming after you for an unsecured, to collect an unsecured debt, they have uh, the right to pretty much lean anything you own uh, to satisfy that debt. How does a house that's had the title quieted not fall under that? Well, first of all, doesn't the debt itself have to have, um, we have to recognize the debt itself. Does the debt itself have to be legitimate? Well, yeah, it has to be legitimate. No. So, so there has to be a bona fide claim to support their, uh, to support their actions? Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Now, when they're first moving the obligation, are they not moving it under a secured note? at least from their end of the pipe, under the premise that it's a secured instrument. You mean that implies that they didn't know or had no knowledge of the quiet title? That, that would be correct. Now, if, now if they got word that they t the property was quieted, does it prevent them from moving forward with, this, with an unsecured claim? That's what no. you're asking now, right? Right, right. Okay. The answer is no they can still move forward in an effort to collect on a unsecured debt. However, at this point in time, 
Is that a non-judicial process? Uh, I don't. I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, well, they would have to at that time uh, move it into court. Is what I'm getting at. Oh. Yeah, okay. The, okay. the originating just... contract, which was that of the, remember the deed, we look at the deed to begin with, right? And now the deed and the note became the contract. And when the, when the deed was, was uh, released of liens, then that means it floated the note. The note at that point became unsecured. Being that it's an unsecured instrument, it now falls under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Is that making sense? Sure, that makes sense. Okay, because at that point, it's no different than like a credit card. Can a yeah. credit card company lean up your house without going to court? Well, no. Okay, so now you should, does, it, does that kind of make sense now? Because it become unsecured, it falls into a different layer of um, of legal procedures, different rules. So yeah. at that point, they would have to move it forward inside of litigation. Now, when you step forward in that boundary, they're going to seek to move forward as an unsecured obligation, and there's ways to you know to um, denounce that as the state. What is that obligation formed on? Produce, produce the assignment because you're only in possession of one half of an instrument. Show well, me yeah. the other half. That was my other question. I and I, I have to admit I don't quite understand this. If if the note and the deed formed that instrument in the first place, if they get separated, how can either one of them be valid from that point on? Consent. 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 How is how would I not even knowing they got as the borrower and homeowner not even knowing that they got separated? How would I consent to that knowingly? By them asking you a question, make a statement. In, in other words, you make it an admission to a statement in which they they pose you a question. You respond in an affirmative of some form, and then what you did at that moment is you recontracted. So in other words, if they say, are you behind on your payments, and I say yes. You're, you just put your foot in your mouth. But what if I'm not behind on my payments? What, first of all, is why are you even answering the question? <laughs> well, I mean, but my point is, if I'm never behind on my payments, how would I ever know that note and that deed got separated? You wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. No. What I the, only other way, the only other way to recognize if there was a potential of it being separated would to have an independent, uh, perhaps uh, a forensic audit done on the note or perhaps uh, a securitization audit performed. That would, that would give you the, uh, at least give you an idea whether or not the instrument had been bifurcated. And then if I found that it was, then what would be my, what would be the step I should take to protect that property? Uh, I'm going to go back with have a code of done and then move towards a quiet title action. I got you. Uh, now, remember, the reason why, now, we got to think of it as a pipe, Dick. 
when we're when we're looking through the pipe, the first thing in which we created was the contract, that deed. After the deed was was formed, then we created the note. So when we drop this into the pipeline, the note goes into the pipeline first, because wherever the note goes, the deed has to follow. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. So when I drop it through the pipe, and then I push the, the, the deed in behind it, the party that's on the other end of the pipe, the first thing that pops out is the note. Okay. And that's what their interest is formed on, is that instrument. Does that make sense? Whether yeah. they're in possession, whether they're in possession of the deed or not, is not the subject matter. The subject matter is, is that they're in possession of an interest. Does that make sense? It may, yeah. not, it may not be secured, but they're in possession of an instrument. Now, how do we know this? Well, if we take a look at 3-3013, uh, and the last line that they have in there is words to the effect of uh, persons that are entitled to enforce an instrument, even though they were are in wrongful possession of the instrument. Now, how can a person that's in wrongful possession of an instrument be able to, uh, to enforce it? I have no idea. Colorable expression of law, and you consented. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, consent. Yeah. So, in other words, they throw a few bait questions out there to get um, generally the homeowner borrower to make an admission to a default. Or the second part of that is they start speaking into custom and tradition, and then they're demanding you to provide some form of evidences of your payment schedule. Or they try to get you to state who you've been making your payments to. Uh -huh. Now, recognize what's being said here. A person that you do not know, there has not been an identification of person, is that person, had, have they been authenticated of being the duly qualified holder of the instrument as pursuant 3-3011? And until that point, or their duly qualified uh, whole, um, agent. If they don't have the documentation to support that they're the duly qualified holder or the agent thereof, then they have no right to even question anything about your payment schedule or whether you're in default. They no. can't even bring that up. However, let me reframe that. They can bring it up until hell freezes over. If you want to respond to it, welcome to foot and mouth disease. Yeah. Because you just made admissions and you're about to get screwed. Because that's the colorful expression of our legal system. Hmm. Now, on the other hand, if they would start asking those type of questions and it was immediately um, objected to and simply state words, the effect my opponent is standing over there as if they have already provided the authentic documents that supports their claim as being the person that's entitled to enforce the instrument. Until they have provided those documents, they can't ask me anything regarding what I've done with my property. They're not in a position to ask anything, whether I have insurance on it, whether I painted the house, how many people live there, 
what, whatever the case is, whether I'm in current with my payments or anything, they, they can't do it. Now, the judge, unfortunately, sadly, many of the judges are, are seemingly stepping in and helping to uh, litigate the case for the opponent because they start asking questions of the homeowner borrower, seeking to get them to admit to a default. Why? Because they got all these cases and they're trying to get rid of them. And if they can scratch you off by getting you to make a default statement, <laughs> yeah, it's this case is closed. Mm. And they're on to the next. So you would have to object to the proceeding at that point in time if the judge starts asking uh, questions regarding the payment schedule. They we're not here at this point in time or we have not moved into the proceedings at this point in time to even speak to the subject matter of payment obligations until after my opponent has provided suitable evidences that supports his claim that he's a duly qualified holder. Hmm. So it's a, it's a procedure. Yeah, yeah. To be on top of the procedure and the rules of evidences. Yeah. I think, I think you see this if you go to like some court hearings where there's a lot of credit card debt and somebody will be talking about like a bank, I mean a credit card debt or a hospital or something like that. You'll see a lot of the uh, judges come back, and they're helping the uh, opposing counsel, saying, well, "Isn't this your payments? Isn't this whatever Jeez. this is getting you to commit to it?" That's wicked. So, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, if you don't want to, if you can't see it in a mortgage or you're not for, you know, the uh, judicial state, just go look at your credit card, some credit card stuff, and you'll see it. Like, and you'll be amazed. That helps. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing to maybe put out there is even if even if you did acquire title action and you have this unsecured debt that's floating around there somewhere, right? You know that they said you know it's been bifurcated and you've got, you've got your property together, and you've got this debt and they're coming back at you and they're saying, well, you know, you owe us this money, and under Fair Debt Collection Act, you know, the question is who can validate a debt? Who can verify that? Because chances are it's going to be somebody from their company that's going to do that. And really, is that a real, is that a real uh, I mean, because they have a vested interest in the outcome of the case. So really, who can be the only person that can validate a debt? You know, that's like one question you need to really think about, and, uh, and that might be part of the remedy what's going on. Well, the answer to that is pretty straightforward. The person who the debt is owed to. Mm-hmm. That's the only person that they can that can declare a default. That's the only person. Now you can have agents out there running around doing all sorts of stuff, but unless the duly qualified holder directs the agent specifically to move a default, and that would have to be supported by documentation. That's not a phone call. It has to be supported by documentation. The agent doesn't have the authority to move a default. Right. Well, yeah, I understand because even even I had asked that question one time in court and asked them, where's the agency relationship between was it a law firm and the and the, it was a credit card debt is what it was and the bank and uh, he asked me that I could ask it in an interrogatory. Yes. So I asked the question and they were going on some private information or something like that, but. I, I do know how to, to work it now, but it's 
you had them by the short hair at that moment. Mm-hmm. When they mm-hmm. when they move the subject matter of saying, oh, well, that's proprietary. You say, mm-hmm. so in other words, you're not going to release the information that secures your claim? And they have no claim, right? If, your Honor, they just made admissions that they are not in possession or they're not going to release the documents. Thereby, everything that count my opponent is stating at up to this point is hearsay. I wish all of his statements stricken from the record, and I seek to have this case dismissed with prejudice. Any objections? Mm-hmm. You're right, Kenny, but it wasn't me. I'm just trying to help you know, somebody else, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me so it's a little more difficult to have somebody else do it, even though yeah. you're trying to help. Well, see, again, see, the, the more that we play with this, the more that it's discussed, the more that we take the opportunity, like when we have those few moments of spare time, Lord knows how precious those are. You know, maybe during the morning constitutional, perhaps, uh, <laughs> perhaps maybe after nightly prayer and you're laying down in bed and you're starting to drift off, uh, whatever it is, Run the various scenarios through your mind. Picture yourself as being a defendant in a case or a plaintiff, it matters not, and think about how the opponent makes certain statements. How would you respond? And now weigh that against the things in which we have been teaching in our our workshops. The subject matter is is that whatever is coming out of the other party's mouth is a result. Okay, do you have the documents to support that result? Otherwise, at that point, it's just hearsay, right? They got to have something in as, as a record to support it. That's number one. Now, the next part is is the supporting document, which is the authentic record that gave the authorization for the result. So as long as you keep following that train of thought, remember, once you get to the supporting document, that supporting document, the terms on that now become novated to where the supporting document now becomes a resulting document. What supports that? And that way you walk it all the way back to the person, the only person who can make the declaration or declare a default at that point. You just walk it right backwards to the duly qualified holder. So if they want to talk about assignments, we start talking about the note. They want to talk about the note, we start talking about assignments. So you just keep them going back and back and back in time because what the note, I mean, the deed always follows the note. Right. Therefore, where is that? Where's that document? Right. You're going right back in time. But now if you're thinking your way through this at the same time, if the party is over there making some form of a statement or producing some sort of a copy of an instrument uh, is claiming that it was a, um, a reflection of the note, you could say, Your Honor, uh, if I understand what my opponent had just said, is that they are showing us a copy of the note in which they have in their possession, whereby if they have the note, means they also have the assignment. Have them bear those instruments for a material inspection to see if they have changed or modified the underlying asset value. And I'm a good sport. Let's give them 14 days. If they can't come back with both of those instruments being certified documents, um, then they don't have a case. And I seek to have this case dismissed. Yeah, it's kind of a good question, too, to ask if they've got a copy of the note. 
then they must have the dome, right? You think how, you made a copy of something. How did you make a copy of something you don't have? No, you say you don't have. Oh, you That's got to get the instrument? How far is your office from here? Why do, what do you say we adjourn for uh, early break, Your Honor? Uh, early lunch? What do you say we meet back here at 2 o'clock and he'll have possession of that note, right? Brother, you'll have that. You got it in your file cabinet, right? You made a copy of it. It's in your records. Right. Otherwise, how did you come into possession with that? How did you gain possession of the copy of that note? Where did it originate? Where did you get it? Remember, it's a result. Where's the support? Where did you get it? Well, then they would do like murder secretary Holtman and certify his own copy. <laughs> yeah, that's quite possible. I have signing authority. <laughs> what really blew my mind today in being in that recorder's office is when that uh, that kind of recorder said, well, MERS is a big corporation, like like they were like GE or something like that. I'm like, what? <laughs> you talk? They, that's what they believed, and they had no idea that the elements of being bankrupt or no, they had no they had no idea. They're not taught it nor trained it. I remember what Kenny said, and that is we are a product of what we're exposed to. Yep. Yes. <clears throat> Which is why in the familia sense, you know, you have doctors who want their kids to go and be doctors as well for the most part, and the kids absorb certain facets of the doctor world. You know, attorneys, uh, parents who have um, or who are attorneys and their kids, um, you know, sometimes they will follow in the same footsteps because that's what they are around or are familiar with. Um, it doesn't mean they'll be good. doesn't mean they'll be right. And it doesn't mean they'll go at all you know, or they'll study that at it. But um, there, there was a study a while back, I want to say maybe 15, 20 years ago, that showed the number of people whose parents and grandparents were of the same um, uh, same position or same title. So they were a doctor and then the other one was a doctor. So when it came time around for the kids, uh, so that would be the grandkids uh, for the youngest then, um, that they were more likely to have a midlife crisis at about 45 to 50, somewhere in there, and no longer wanting to be what they were for their parents um, because of the pressures. So it's it's an oddity thing that kind of, you know, was presented itself. So just because you're familiar with it and it's around you doesn't mean it's always for you. You know the one thing about what we're what we're what we're saying today is, and it's important. Is this seems to be the right way of doing everything. So if you, you know, you you rehearse this in your mind. This is the way it's going to go. This is the way it's going to go. And this is the way it's going to go. And it's going to go that way. And that's the only way you know how it's going to go. Just like I got pulled over by the police a few weeks ago, or whatever. But I only knew one way to do it to answer that um, that police officer because I had rehearsed that in my mind, and it went that exact same way that I had rehearsed it. So I'm like, it's the same way as what's going on here, and if you're going to walk into court or whatever you're going to do, that if you play this out, you only know one way. So if they're going to answer, they're going to say, they want to talk about the note, you want to talk about the assignments, and if you, you, know, and you just sort of like 
there's no other way to do it because you would not know what to do except for going that one direction and going back the other way. So I, I just want to put that out because, you know, that, I, I rehearse this every day in my mind, how I, how I play tacticals and whatever, but, you know, so. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I authored it. <laughs> okay, just, just I just wanted to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I have a question about the Robinson case in California. They first of all quieted the title, and uh, I think I remember that MERS filed another suit claiming something. I can't remember, but did they ever follow that up with a uh, lender liability or tortious interference claim or anything like that to resolve the note issue? I think at this present time, they're still bantering this, uh, a few subject matters. They're going through, um, they're going through banter right now, Dave, is what's happening. Mm. Uh, the attorney that was uh, handling the case uh, made a misstep, and, um, and it opened up a, a, the proverbial Pandora's box. So now they're, they're seeking to get those worms back inside the can. I see. So how that pans out, we're not sure at this point. I remember the the uh, the recent case had like 22 counts. Ugh. I, I remember reading that, thinking, uh, "What happened to the three or four counts?" <laughs> well, that's where they get taken away or carried away. You know, they think yeah. that they need a whole bunch to make this stuff happen, and you don't need a whole bunch. This In fact, is one. I think they, they're scheduled for hearing, I think, in April, or at least they were when they initially filed it. Does anybody else have anything for tonight? Oh, I just want to add a little bit. I'm listening to this, and I'm grateful that we've been together over this last, well, not quite a year and a half, at least for myself and Dick, with all of you. And what I am finally starting to get comfortable with is that this is so like the healthcare and the dental world. Uh, the and I'm sitting here getting more comfortable with it. And maybe it's time to talk about green solutions, mortgages, or biologic. You know, there's there are literally uh, associations of medical doctors and especially dentists and others that are now called biologic dentists, for example. And it's almost like you need another name to identify something that deals with the whole situation rather than the good old boy, good old girl network that we've known to date. And, you know, I'm just being... Uh, reflective here. You don't. This is just something little, but it almost seems like this needs a name that would gently separate the fruit leather from the wax paper, because the generations of attorneys, the generations of mortgagers, the generations of lenders and banks are used to this is how business is done. And when you bring in something like a name that has a word like green in it or environmental or biologic, people start to go, oh, this is different. So I'm just musing here 
But with the good heart that's being done here in a very rough sea, especially with the UCC itself being changeable at times according to needs, um, there might be a way to put attorneys at rest who want to come forward and do this and kind of separate them out from the milieu of the disrespected industry, the highly disrespected industry, the fraught with uh, fraud industry. And we have two friends who were going to become attorneys. They refused to <laughs> become legal thieves so or thieves. So I don't know. Maybe there will be some kind of a title to give this kind of working within people's mortgages as a, a, a niche field within the field and let it grow, let the seed grow and sprout. And it'll be different than just the regular attorney banker types fighting against other attorneys and bankers and the homeowners in the middle or the apartment owners in the middle or the business owners in the middle. And it just starts to have more of a, a, a flavor of something fresh and alive is being done by people who really genuinely care in the licensed field. You know, with the with the attorneys, with the paralegals, with the code of preparers, etc. Just a thought. Nancy, I have an oddball datum for you, and that is the one color of the light spectrum that plants reject is green. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Interesting. And we call ourselves green. I'm green. I've got a green house. Isn't that? <laughs> wow. Iceland is full of what? And Greenland is full of what? <laughs> okay. That's cute. I, I mean, you know, you just, <laughs> things are not always what they'd appear to be, you know? No. Uh, no, what they before it was climate change, it was um, global warming and global cooling. So they had to change the global warming and global cooling because it it didn't fit the the matrix anymore. So because you got all this kind of freaking weird weather everywhere. So you know, I mean, we were in a foggy foggy bank today, okay? Because it was hot in the inland, okay? Because it sucks the 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 hot heat sucks the fog into the coast. All of a Same sudden, here. Like, yep. uh, all of a sudden, like at 2 o'clock, it's a total downpour. It's like, yeah. I mean, just we're just like, huh? It was not supposed to rain, not supposed to do anything, but it's like, whoosh, you know? And so when you talk about these things and all these renaming of things, you know, yeah, it's good, but the question is, are we renaming it for a purpose or are we renaming it for for a move? Well, I don't know. It's a purpose. Or I'm, th I'm thinking something else. I'm thinking like you know they just rename it because they need to rename it because they can't call it the same old thing anymore because that that doesn't work. So I guess my question to you is: Are you renaming it for the purpose of of putting lipstick on a pig? There you go. <laughs> oh, I understand that completely. I'm really, I'm thinking about this with regards to a young man I talked to today at Greenpeace. He was out in front of the store, and I've met a number of them, told them various things to help them know that, this, that people their age 
are not lost in a world where every single subject you talk about is lost and hopeless because a lot of them are facing this. It's hopeless. And every direction, whether it's the trash or the cell phone towers or EMFs or the pharmaceuticals, the medications for the children, agricultural practices, killing, he's really, really concerned about the honeybees and many other things. Turned out one of their people in the higher-up echelons was swayed by Monsanto's discussions of how what they're doing is so logical, and he actually was released from Greenpeace, and he turned around and became a lobbyist for Monsanto. So, So the whole point is, there's a lot that looks so threatening everywhere we turn, above us, below us, and all around us, and inside, because we could be crazy, or we could be eating foods that are going to knock us out all of a sudden one time, or we'll get Alzheimer's, or we're going to get chronic fatigue or cancer. I mean, it's a constant 24 hours a day threat from the inside to the outside, from the outside to the inside. So what does help is when there is a noticing and you can, it could be a name, or maybe not, but when there is a kind of a peeling away of a certain niche of humanity that says, you know, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to be as honest as possible. We're going to do what is good for the whole person, the whole environment, because it's all one organism anyway, and we're going to do this. So it's not just putting lipstick on a dragon that breathes fire or a pig or a rattlesnake, or a cobra. It's really about trying to find where in the human soul and heart there is an intent to get back into center. Because I work with enough of the younger people at times, and their parents and their grandparents, that they feel hopeless and they are constantly worried. They're tuning into their earbuds and music because there's nowhere else to go except a few moments of relief listening to something that lifts their hearts. So to me, this is a very tangible experience. And it has life-threatening situations. You've got some people going into strokes at the age of 30 occasionally. You've got people in nursing homes at 50. So to me, it's like if you can help identify the clear, direct intent to help people know, oh, my God, you mean it's not just all a bunch of crap? I mean, I, I have a little float over here. I can get on the, the little raft with some other people, and maybe we can make a difference. And that's, that's where I come from. So, and the quantum field, the spirit, the great Tao, you know, T-A-O, whatever you want to call it. Did you know the word Allah actually means the absolute, the same as the, Veja, the Vedas from India? I found out from a wonderful Muslim white woman, that the word Allah actually means the absolute supreme, that it's all love. But we don't have that connotation in our Webster's Dictionary nowadays. It's all about people who are going to be out to hurt others. And so we've taken the good and abridged it so badly that the common title for it is one of threat and despair all the time. So it'd be... You know, when I see Greenpeace people, the ones I've talked to over the years, they really care. When I talk to the permaculture people, they really care. And it feels is centered again in the truth where the mind is listening to the heart and the soul. And there's care about everything in the environment, including the people. 
you for that. What you're doing, all of you who've been in the study circle way longer than we've known, I thank you. I mean it with all my soul and all my heart. And we thank you for participating as well. It is a joy to give others. It is a joy to tell others about this and give them hope that it's doable. Good. Okay. So, does anybody have anything else for tonight? Oh. Probably a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> I have an absolute unrelated question for somebody out there. Perhaps they know something about. Hey, go for it. Uh, does anybody know anything about beneficial nematoids? <laughs> uh, some. They will try to produce certain plants to go into orchards, for example, to keep the uh, uh, bad nematoids from eating up the roots of the trees. Now, I remember that way back when I was a little girl and we had our orchard. Okay. Um, I, actually, my question is more specific. It's dealing with as far as application of, of uh, beneficial nematoids uh, relative to freezing temperatures oh. or potential for it to freeze. Do you know if it kills them off or not? Uh, I would wonder about the species and the area and where they may have grown to become healthy. I really don't know, but you know, if you go on dogpile.com, that search engine, you put that in, who else would know this? The permaculture people may help you. If you find good permaculture people, and you've got great people up in that area. Uh, Turtle Island, um, oh, Turtle Island catalog people, they're a long time Beach organic. Fun. Yeah, Dave, you know those people. You tuned, turned us on to them years ago. They may know who you can contact, and perhaps Cornell can help you with that because they've got a wonderful, last I heard, they have a wonderful experimental garden that includes many types of apple trees and various things that deal with freezing temperatures, and they probably would be able to turn you in the direction of beneficial nematoids. Yeah, I, I've got some to apply. The subject matter was is that, um, well, I just received word today through the news that uh, we're looking at going back into freezing temperatures again. and. Uh. So I kind of viewed that as saying, yeah, that's probably not a good thing to be putting those things out there at this time if that's what uh, uh, the weather is. I love Cornell. Check them. Uh, look up Turtle Island. Dave, what's their other one? Turtle Island Catalog, Turtle Island uh, Seed, seed Savers people. They no, may have... <clears throat> well, yeah, Seed Savers might know something, but I, I don't know. I doubt it. You know, you hear how angels play their harps, right? Well, a lot of this stuff that's going on is not necessarily the ones of heaven that are playing and changing the weather. That's why we call it weather modification anymore. Geoengineering. Yeah. Is, is the new niche for it. Geoengineering. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's also a sense of you can call it prayer, meditation, going in the silence and asking for the greatest good, regardless of what the human mindset in the world that wants to play King of the Hill wants to do. Ask for the greatest power to come in and put things into center again, into right. And the way the earth and the humans and the ducks and the 
ladybugs need it because that's what I do all the time. And I have seen some changes. A number of people we've worked with over the years, they do find it does help. It can help soften things and sometimes stop things that weren't needed. I agree. Uh, thank you very much for your input. You're welcome. It's a great question. And we'll send you some of our hot, warm weather, and you send us some of your rain, we'll trade. <laughs> we were just informed that we're going to have a, um, a below-average summer uh, as far oh. as... And now last year, um, we only hit 80 degrees just a couple times last year. And not above? above? And no. now it's going to be even less than that. So I'm figuring what... Are, our summer is supposed to be what upper fifties, mid sixties. Oh, oh heck, that's San Francisco, and I'm not kidding. Welcome, Welcome to our world. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, our, our winter here are ferocious. Like for example, it's been winter here since October. Oh, yeah. You know, My so is... It's time for it to warm up, and although the snow is gone. We're going to get a refresher course. We're supposed to get uh, something like three-quarters of an inch here in a day or so. Uh. This sounds like a year because both times when I was in Dakota and when we were in Colorado, I, we had snow September 25, and we had the last snow on Father's Day in June. But that was an El Nino year back in the 80s. So, you know, you can speak on behalf of the local oversouls in your area and ask for great good, and I'm just going to talk real with you because it's no use. We don't have time on the planet to keep messing with the dark side. It's like you can talk soul to soul, spirit to spirit with the oversouls in your area that help plants, the people, the aquifers. Ask for the greatest good, regardless of what the human mindsets are trying to do. That's out of, out of whack, and it has made a difference in a number of areas. This is that divine law, the natural law that we're all based in. And that's one of the things I pitch every night right before I go to bed. <laughs> just what you're speaking into. <laughs> that is excellent. And you can also ask that the souls that are in power right now, they seem to feel it, that their guides come through and help them grow their souls in the way it's best for their souls. That doesn't mean I'm intervening or interfering. I'm honoring the great good of each and every one, each in their own unique way. Because that's what our physical lives are about. It's the harmonic of our whole self. It's within the whole self. And the more we wake up as being whole beings and humane beings, then this natural relating with all the unique drops of the ocean, you know, all of us are like a drop in the ocean of, of creation or life. We are each our own note in the harmonics of life. Well, as speaking for the great bunch and asking for each one's guides, mentors, source areas, source levels to help them grow and not affect me, and you can say, me is the name every one of us has. I is the name every one of us has. You is the name every one of us has. So 
So I can ask for my greatest good, and like the Vedas say, when I ask and I pray for my greatest good, it just went out to all of creation, every single being, for their greatest good and the way they need it. And if somebody's going to come in, like I've had a good friend come in and really bully the hell out of my life for about a year when I had so many family members and friends dying, and this person thought in business this was a great thing to do because they got a snit of misunderstanding about a company we both worked with and was just going to bring the house down with fire. And I just said, okay, keep this individual fine, but keep my part of the world safe. And sure enough, we got separated out. Because I couldn't help the individual and help change anything in their perception. But by God, we got separated out. So that individual can no longer come crashing in like a bull through a forest into my personal life anymore because it just wasn't the thing to have happen. The individual could go on and continue crashing, but not in my part of the field, my part of the meadow. So that we have a right to ask for our part of the environment, our souls, our spirit, all the trees were around, the green, the, the green belts, the meadows, the creeks, the ocean, the mountains, whatever that's in our area. We have a right to stand as one in the administrative process of divinity law, natural law, and ask for the greatest good, regardless of what some human mindsets with harps are thinking they should do. Because this is a tiny little speck in creation. Human mind is even tinier than that. And our our spirit, our soul, our whole self, we have a right to get back in touch with that, that administrative process, and gently say, for my greatest good, knowing that's for the greatest good of all, and then see what shows up. Dick and I have had to learn this because we kept being shown how what we knew in our earlier adult years was not going to work. We had to pay attention. I didn't get on a soapbox like this because it was my usual bent. It's like nothing worked. Nothing that I was trained worked for 20 years. I had to start listening inside. I had no other direction to go. Nothing would work the way I was trained at the university or at home or anything. I had to listen inside. It was the only place the answers would come from from that point on back in the 80s. So I offer it to you, and if the shoe fits right now, try it on. If the shoe doesn't fit, it isn't right for you at this point. But I, I just really send love to each, and this is such an open and good group, And but each of us must be where we're comfortable and so if my words sound friendly, that's great, that's perfect, but it's rings right. It's you listening to your own, your own vast self. You have the right in the administrative divine law, the natural law, to ask for your greatest good and not just listen to CNN and Fox News or Yahoo News. Because your natural law is way vaster than any of these so-called uh, movers and shakers. You know, I hope that at some point in time I have the opportunity to look you square in the eye. Me too. Me too, Dick. I feel the same way. <laughs> Each of you. Love to see Oregon again. Never. Well, I sat in the airport in New York years ago, stayed on the airplane. Never been there otherwise. I'd love to do it. Well, uh, uh, you got the better part of the area. Well, then come here. If you ever come to one of the... Uh, Krieger's thing is here in this area. Boy, let us know ahead of time. I may just do that. Thank you. Absolutely, yes. And that goes for you, Nancy and Dave and Charles. 
because it's so important that we know we're part of this vast oneness. We're not alone. We're not crazy. We're not making it up, and it's good to find community. Um, I will add a caveat note in there, and thank you for the invitation. Um, a caveat note, um, I've checked five websites for you, Kenny. Uh, yeah, not, not a good time to put up anymore. <laughs> oh, good deal, Nancy, good deal. Above 32 is a good place for them. Yeah, I kind of suspected that. They were saying, you know, to apply them somewhere mid-April, beginning of May. And it's like, yeah, well, we're still hitting freezing. And then my next question actually was going to line up with uh, Lyme. If anyone knows if if Lyme plays an adverse uh, effect. Your feed feed stores may know that because when we were looking up – uh, agricultural lime, it's used well, and your feed and seed stores might know about that, or they can regard, uh, send you to the county agricultural extension, or they can, again, talk to Cornell, their mm-hmm. agricultural department. Yeah, I kind of figured that was the direction in which this was ultimately have to move, uh, being that when I spoke to other individuals in the area, I realized that when I said beneficial nematoids and I seen their eyes start flashing like, you know, bingo slot devices, uh, <laughs> I knew, yeah, I'm talking to the wrong person and now they're going to try to bullshit me. <laughs> so, oh, you, yeah, right. hey, you can put them down, you know, they last a winter every year. And it's like, okay, onward and upward. They last in your refrigerator at 38 degrees, but they won't last in the ground like you just found out, Nancy, at 32. So, yeah. <laughs> Kenny, what do you want to do? What do you intend to accomplish by applying lime? Well, the the idea well, lime was so that I could sweeten the soil a little bit. Uh, we it's just uh, part of the gig. I've been in. Um, uh, the long and the short of it is, is that there was, was areas of lawn in which we're beginning to. Um, produce moss. Uh, uh, moss was starting to come up, and then it started to take over. I should have jumped on it a couple years ago, but uh, long story short, I wasn't. I wasn't in the capacity to do anything about it at that time. And uh, now there's areas in which there has been moss that has come up, and it's like, okay, if I'm not mistaken, back when I had taken horticulture years ago. Uh, something in that class stuck that said words to the effect, if you got moss, it's because you're lacking, it's too acidic. Yeah, that would make sense because moss grows around pine trees and such like that. Yeah, yeah definitely the lime sweet in the soil, and it's also going to be really good for the grass. Right. So, yeah, so I, yeah. I throw, every year I throw lime out inside my garden. Uh, yeah. To a degree, I was going to pH it this year to find out where I actually sit, but this time around, I thought, yeah, it's about time I threw some out onto the lawn as well. And noting that uh, everybody else in the neighborhood wants to use that human compost, uh, yeah. I say humus. I'm talking about equate. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that stuff or not, but it's sewer sludge. It's sewer sludge. It's yeah. human fecal matter. Yeah. Yeah. And they're spraying it out, you know, like there's a big squawk about, you know, farmers putting it out there and all that other stuff and blah, blah, blah. I don't even know how they ever got around to being able to do this in the first place. But then again, the FDA turned around and said that GMOs isn't a problem and neither is, you know, mercury in a vaccine. So what the hell do I know? 
a lot more. <laughs> I I just want to go back to one question. You mean there are lawns that grow without moss in them? Uh, yeah. See, that's because I know where you're at. Your weather's equivalent to Juneau, Alaska. I lived there for long enough too, and life is moss. You don't cut on. You 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 put your Juno tennies on and walk across the moss. Uh, you know, what, hmm. Juno tennies was rubber boots. Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> you know, it, it was the only place I've ever lived in my life that whenever the sun came up, unofficially the town shut down. <laughs> yeah. no, nobody went to work. Yeah, nobody went to work. Uh, all state labor. Everybody called in sick. Everybody called in sick. Well, were you were you in southeast Alaska? Where? Juno. I was in southeast Alaska. I was in Anchorage, Alaska. I was in Nome, Alaska. Well, I spent nearly you... twenty years up there. I had my wow. fair share of cold, and then what do yeah. I to do? I <laughs> come back and live in cold. Upper state New York, yeah, that's a. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it, on the other it, side of the lake, so. Yeah, yeah. but it's pretty. It if you get to see it. <laughs> uh, what you need are water lilies that grow in that kind of moss, and just you know, there's short water lilies that grow in that moss and that kind of acidity, and you'd have a real pretty lawn. <laughs> uh, until they outlaw moss in the lawn. We've got beautification commissions that run around trying to cite people and stuff. All the covenants, huh? Don't you just love that? I mm-hmm. love them. I don't love them. So I send them a little piece of paper that says, yeah, before you start coming onto my property, you probably want to have a warrant from here on out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with the lawn. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, you, now, now you're now going I'm to approach them and ask them for advice, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cornell would Cornell would be all right. Yeah, I know. I'm pulling your leg, dear. <laughs> so, I don't want your benefits except, can you put beneficial nematoids out at this time of year, and what effects does Lyme have on them? Uh, yeah, and I called them toids, and I shouldn't have. It's actually toads, T-O-D-E-S. So. Ah, very good. Well, we better put on mute. Well, it was entertaining. Thank you very much for the input. Nancy, do we have anything else for this evening, dear? I think we're about ready to close this puppy up and put a bow on it. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone. Okay. Well, with that being said, is, would there be any aversion as to pitching for the pending workshops that's coming up on the weekend? Uh, none. I mean, if somebody whatsoever. wants to this that has no, you know, no idea, you know, regarding the free workshops in which we offer and stuff like that. <laughs> Are you talking about the webinars? That's yes. correct. Yeah, they're wonderful. But uh, no I, that. Uh, no right. version of that at all. I put lime on myself, and I'm totally for it. <laughs> so, when, I can't. When would you, you show next? up for the webinar? When When would you show up next for the webinar, Nancy? When would you do that? Well, when it's a uh, we Saturday after uh, when? We just had it last Saturday, so it's going to be. You're talking about the webinars on mm-hmm. the weekend, Saturday mornings, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, we were there. The next one will be on the 2nd. <laughs> yeah, because we were there for the one on the 18th. And you, most of them. One time we couldn't because uh, work of some kind. So, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Nancy, is it okay if we spot this? Yes. 
Okay, for the uh, persons that may be coming into this new and they don't uh, are not aware, we offer free workshops that it's giving towards at uh, current environment is regarding mortgages, uh, notes, chain of title assessments, and how to identify the defects using the Uniform Commercial Code. Uh, they, they're being conducted on alternate um, Saturdays, uh, noon Eastern. And for those that are interested, they can contact info, I-N-F-O, at niatru, N-I-A-T-R-U, dot com. And just simply state that you'd like to be invited to the webinar, and you'll receive a response at that time. Thank you for allowing me to post that. And also to note that you don't want to do that you want to do that a couple of days before the webinar. You don't want to do it the day of the webinar because the day of the webinar, other things are occurring. So people aren't always looking directly at your email at that particular time. So mm, that's do, true. do that in advance. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, so. yes. Okay. Anybody else have anything for tonight? Otherwise, we're going to close her up. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody. You're all wonderful. A very wise man keeps telling me to be good to yourself and to be good to others. I think that's a very wise thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the same? On? Yeah, maybe. Man, brother. <laughs> be good to yourself. So we'll catch you around the next loop.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.